The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Is your organization a talent magnet? Is your culture the envy of the business market? Top organizations need top leaders. Make sure that you are that leader. This show will ensure that you are. Welcome to I Lead, the Leadership Connection with Dr. Linda Sharkey. Leaders today are more than just results. They are about creating legacies of great people, driving winning organizations, and raising the bar for themselves and that of their teams. Now, here is your host, Dr. Linda Sharkey. Welcome. I'm Linda Sharkey, host of I Lead the Leadership Connection, and thanks for joining me again this week. I am personally very excited about having uh, the guest for this week, and there are a number of reasons for that. Much of my own experience and research has been to try and put analytics and data into the decision-making processes around people, because I have seen over my professional career that this has been an area that has been very much lacking in the human resource function and the organizational development function. People is where most companies spend most of their resources and most of their money. You would never see a financial CFO come with bullet points from a focus group on how the balance sheet looked. Nor would you have a marketing person not come with some kind of analytics of really understanding how the customer reacts, how they're taking, uh, how they relate to the brand, etc. But human resources seems to have been, in my view anyway, a lagger in this particular area. So I have with me today really someone who put what I consider real rigor into human capital strategy and human capital measurement and analysis, Dr. Jack Fitzens. He's really world-renowned. He is what everybody says is the father of human capital strategic analysis and measurement, and he started this way back before it was even uh, a gleam in anybody else's eyes. He's now moved on to predictive uh, initiatives, and of course everybody is, but we really need to be thinking more and more about that from a human capital and a, and, a, and a talent and a people perspective. So he's won many, many awards. Um, he's been cited as one of the top 50 per- persons in the past 50 years who's changed what HR does and how it does it. And I really think that from my point of view, HR, in order to continue to stay relevant, needs to really be thinking much more about analytics, strategy, predictive analytics, and measurement in order to align themselves much more solidly into the fabric of the businesses that they support. So I have Dr. Jack Fitzens. Thank you so much, Jack, for joining me today. I'm just so excited to have you. Well, I'm honored. You're very gracious, Linda. Thank you very much. And by the way, you have 12 books and over 300 articles, etc. So, you know, what have you been doing over the last 30-some years? Well, actually, now it's 400, it's 450 articles, and, and I'm working on the 15th book. So. Well, there you go. No moss, uh, no, no moss under you, for sure. So, well, you have to do something between midnight and 4 a.m., so I write well, There books. you go. There you go. I also found out I knew you lived uh, very near me when I was out in the West Coast, and shame on me for not um, seeking you out sooner. But so, what got you into measurement in the first place? Because in the 1970s, that definitely was not um, a factor in human right. and talent and people, frankly, at all. So, what 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 led you to get there? 
I don't want to dwell on the past like an old man, but let me tell you a quick story, which I think answers your question directly. Uh, in 1969, I went to work for Wells Fargo Bank uh, as a trainer in the manage- in the training department, and uh, I was doing management development training. The first day, I walked in the door to 464 California Street, which was this great granite monolith, uh, and I went uh, up Which to is the in San Francisco, by the way, for anybody who doesn't know that, but go ahead. Uh, sorry. sorry. <laughs> uh, I went up to the guard, and I said, I'm here to go to work in personnel and training. He says, oh, buddy, you're in the wrong place. This, they're not here. They're four blocks over in the annex. We put them there because they can't hurt anybody there. Oh, my God, that's hilarious. And that was exactly what I thought. You know, what in the world is this? Why am I going to work where I don't hurt anybody? Right. And I discovered rather quickly that the reason they were talking that way is because there was no way that the that function then called personnel and training was capable of describing the value that it was adding to the bank in terms of helping make money, which is what bankers are mostly interested in. Correct. And uh, so the obvious answer was there's no way we can describe our work because we don't have any numbers. Right. And the problem there was nobody wanted any numbers from HR, at least within HR. So the biggest problem I had was not outside of HR. It was within the department. Uh, and these were people who liked to run product uh, programs and services, and they didn't really see themselves as part of the profit-making uh, 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 business of the, uh, of the bank. And uh, frankly, they'd wish I'd go away and stop right. bothering them. Right. So, um, so I, I mean, it's been, it was a very similar experience that I had, too. I mean, I worked for Chemical Bank when I got out of, uh, finished my master's and before I got my Ph.D., and very similar. People didn't know how to measure the impact or connect the impact of what they did at all to uh, the profitability of an organization. Well, and it was a... Yeah, the main problem I ran into, and there were lots of resistances, was mm-hmm. you should not measure people. And I said, that's a mis- miscomprehension. We are not measuring people. That's a philosophical issue. What we're measuring is the process outcomes of the people who, who, who do this work. How much input did we have in the way of people and money and materials, and what did we get out of it? Right. So it isn't the people we're after. It's the business process outcome. Right. And I think also, uh, Jack, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but in the 70s, that was really the era of, you know, moving away from time and motion studies and all of that other kind of stuff. So there was kind of a resistance to that industrial engineering perspective. And it was really when, like, you know, national training labs and all that other kind of stuff were, were, were in the forefront. So, you know, so what made you do this research? This original research. Well, I, I wanted to be able to demonstrate I was creating value. I guess right. it was an ego thing, but I couldn't see going to work every day and not coming home at night figuring that I'd, I'd done something that was valuable. So I looked around and tried to figure out how to do that, and that's really got me to measurement because of, you obviously have to have data in order to demonstrate any kind of value. Right. And uh, so I said, well, how am I going to do this? And over time, and this took about five years working for Wells, uh, I came up with five different ways of measuring anything. They're simply, what's the, what does it cost to do this? How much time does it take to do it? How much did we do? That is productivity. Quality, was it good? Did it meet the specifications or the expectations? And finally, the human side, how were people reacting to this? So a combination of one or more of those can tell you how, how you are creating value or not creating value in whatever it is that you're doing. And that really was the genesis of the whole thing. It was the basis of what we now call descriptive analytics. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I, I think that that was so powerful and so important. However, I still have to tell you that I do not see um, a heavy use of this even now in human resources why do you think that is some 40 years later well i think there's two reasons behind it one is that senior management in more than half of the companies well over more than half do not still do not expect a whole lot out of hr in the way of uh, 
financial contribution. They still see HR principally as a cost center and somebody who's there you call when you have a problem with an employee uh, or someone who's there who run the benefit program, uh, set up the compensation system, run a performance management system. It's all this background stuff that managers don't want to do and, and frankly are not capable of doing. Nothing wrong with them, but it's not their job. Uh, and so that's half of it. And so because with that mindset, then managers, we'll now call it executives, executives tend to hire people like that who like right. to run programs and who are not interested in making a financial contribution. Now, there is, of course, exceptions to that, maybe 20 to 30%, if I'm generous, uh, of the people in HR really now want to do that. And the interesting thing that I discovered over the years and, and see more and more now as we're getting some new generations into the profession is that a lot of the old timers, I'll put myself certainly in that, uh, that bracket, still don't want to do anything other than what they did 30 years ago when they started out just running a program. The yeah. problem still lies with them, and they still have too much power in the organization because they're up at the top of the HR function. But yeah. slowly they're being replaced by younger people who have a whole different idea of what they're there for. Well, let's hold that point because we're at break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about how you do become more strategic in your human resource function and how this is changing going forward. So stay with us. We're talking to Jack Fitzens who is really, I think, the leading guru you speak all over the world on on this topic of strategy, human capital, and measurement. And uh, we'll be exploring this more deeply and what this is going to mean for the 21st century. Find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Dr. Linda Sharkey promotes fact-based solutions for global organizations and leaders that are known to drive business success. Do you want to put the wow in your talent practices? How about a spring in your leadership approaches? Coaching and leadership development are proven methods that, if done right, really do make good leaders great. If you want a no-nonsense, practical approach that will enable you to compete anywhere in the world with measurable results, contact Linda today. Visit lindasharkey.com. Again, that's lindasharkey.com. You have a message. You want to share that message. You want it to be social, to go viral, and spread across the planet. But how do you get started? Tune in to Amplify, featuring host Ken Roshan. This show is here to help you take that message and channel it through the most effective marketing techniques to not only be successful, but have a positive impact on the world. Tune in live every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel, and get Amplified. Game-changing technologies and strategies are transformational, exciting, and disruptive for a reason. They shake up your status quo. They get you thinking about new ways to scale, compete, and grow. They move you in amazing new directions. You're invited to take your coffee break with Game Changers on Thursdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time for our special series on Think Big, Work Small with Game Changers presented by SAP on the Voice America Business Channel. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to I Lead, the Leadership Connection. To speak to Dr. Linda Sharkey or her guest, please call in to 1 866 472 5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or you can tweet the show at hashtag ILEADTLC. We'd also love to hear from you by email. The email address is radio at lindasharkey.com. Now, back to ILEAD, the Leadership Connection. 
Welcome back. I'm Linda Sharkey, and I'm talking with Dr. Jack Fitzens. We're talking about measuring human capital, aligning it with the strategy of the business, and making the people side of an organization clearly uh, a value add to business outcomes at the end of the day, which is so important. You know, so many HR people are still trying to get a seat at the table. And if they can't figure this one out, they're never going to have an opportunity to really be front and center in the organization. Um, so why do you think that HR, and I'm going to throw OD professionals in here too, because I think they fall often in that category, shy away from the notion of measurement? Well, I think there are a couple of reasons, uh, and I'll, I'll get away from personality issues. First of all, they're not trained that way. They don't come through uh, college programs where there's much in the way of any kind of analytics, mathematical uh, work of any type, and therefore they're simply, in their own minds, uh, not capable of dealing with that kind of stuff. I'm not a mathematician, whatever. I mac- as a matter of fact, in high school, I flunked both algebra and geometry for six weeks, so I'm, I'm not a, a numbers guy. But I understand that it's necessary to have objective data as well as subjective data in order to discuss anything of value. And I think that people simply have an aptitude that does not link with that very well in most cases, other than the people who simply don't want to do it. But the others who might want to do it are still put off by the fear that they can't handle the numbers. And that if they ever do come up with any data and they present it, they'll get beat up uh, by the finance people and the marketing people who live numbers every day. Right. And that's not, uh, that's not an, uh, an unwarranted fear. Because if you go into a group that knows something much better than you do, and you try to make a presentation or a, or sell a, an idea, uh, they're liable to beat the heck out of you. So you have to be prepared. And I always told people, uh, clients, uh, when I became a consultant, don't go in and present anything until you know it better than they do. That is, until you can answer any weird question about where do these numbers come from, how come they're valid, I don't think they're valid, blah, blah, blah. You have to be competent before you expose yourself to this world, because it's a tough one. It is a tough one. And, you know, there's a lot of people today in the workplace who, um, you know, are very facile around analysis, uh, big data, um, doing correlations, all of that other kind of thing. And, you know, I come from a company that focused very heavily GE on Six Sigma. And, um, you know, you had to understand that stuff. And what I found was fascinating when we started Six Sigma at GE way, way back, um, first thing we had to do was to get the baseline data. We had to collect the data. I think the same thing exists for HR. I don't think HR spent very much time really having systems that talk to each other and really collecting the data from which they could get a picture of what the future would look like or even what the current reality is, is in their environment. So what's your thought about that? Well, you're exactly correct because if you really don't understand the topic, it's pretty hard to know where to start. And so I think the good news is today there is so much information available to someone who wants to do this, even if they have trepidations. (coughs) Excuse me, I have a lingering sinus cold here. Um, But there are so many opportunities. There is not a day goes by that I don't see two or three offerings of books and seminars and uh, consultations around the whole issues of measurement. So the data is out there. The support is out there. So if I was just starting, I would simply pick out some of those and go try them and see which ones are going to be helpful to me because I'm going to learn something. And over time, of course, I'll learn a lot more. Right. So so that led you, all of this has led you into this uh, pre- predictive initiative 2008 that you did and, you know, much more current. And I, I do like to start with the past, actually, uh, Jack, because I think, you know, the past obviously informs the future. And tell me about this predictive initiative, because this is such an important piece. If HR or human capital can crack this it can be a huge lever for corporations. Absolutely. That was, my last book was Predictive Analytics for HR. 
But you're right. You've got to know the past before you can deal with the future. So let me quickly lay the whole terrain out for you. The first Great. level is knowing the past. That is called descriptive analytics. And that's what accounting is about. And that's what sales numbers are about. That's production numbers are about. That's all the past. What has happened up till today? What's the last month, the last quarter, the last year? And we need that because that's the base. And what we needed to do once we got past that was to get into predictive analytics and to try to figure out what's likely to happen tomorrow. So then we had to start looking ahead to what's going on in the marketplace. Uh, we have to become aware of things outside of our office and even outside of our company and even outside of our industry. So we have to start looking at... <coughs> excuse me. We have to start looking at... Um, at the marketplace, and it's not only the national marketplace, it's the international marketplace. And someone can say, but, you know, I just run a small company in Lincoln, Nebraska. I'm not affected by what goes on in China or Brazil or someplace, and that's absolutely not true. You are affected. There's only one market now, and it's the world. Right. So you've got to know what's going on everywhere to some degree. I understand that you have other things to do, but somebody in the organization has got to spend some time looking at what's happening in the marketplace so you can begin to figure out this is what we know, this is what we see coming, now what can we do to be predictive? What should we be doing? Yeah, third, and go, go ahead, go ahead. The third part is the one we haven't really come to in most cases, which is prescriptive analytics. So if you know what's happened and you now you know what's likely to come and therefore what you're going what you're going to need to do you have to be specific about uh, how do I do it in a way that will get me the results that I want and that's prescriptive so I, I always use a medical model if you go to the doctor like I did a week ago to try to deal with this sinusitis I had he exercised his descriptive uh, analysis uh, from his profession, years and years of, of knowing what the human body's like. Then we went to predictive. He said, okay, what you've got is sinusitis, and you, you need to do this and that. And if you take this prescription down to the pharmacy and follow the instructions, you'll, you'll be okay in a week. So that's predictive. Okay. Now, when I went down and I got that, and I looked at the label and it said, you know, take one of these a day for five days or whatever it was, that's prescriptive. That tells me if I follow the prediction that the doctor gave me and I do this, my chances of becoming well by his uh, timetable are very good. So that's that's prescriptive. So what does HR have to do today as they set up programs, products, services, interventions of any type in order to get the result they want tomorrow. Yeah, and I think that you do see some enlightened places um, that are able to predict, so to, for lack of a better word, the kind of person that uh, is going to do well in your particular culture, in your particular environment. They're able to predict uh, what kind of people to be looking, the characteristics of the people that you should be recruiting in, uh, and all of those kinds of things. Have, do you see many people doing that kind of analysis? Yes, you're absolutely right. That, that capability exists today, and there are a number of companies doing it already. And Google is probably one of the most prominent ones in that area. Um, the issue is that there is a very small number doing it. Uh, as in any population, there's a very small number of innovators. Maybe 5% of the total population is doing what you're talking about. There's another group, the early adopters, which come behind the innovators, and they look at it and they say, oh, that water doesn't look too cold. I, I, maybe I can stick my toe into it. And so they begin to take these things on and build on it. Then the problem is you've got the other about 65% of the people who are almost comatose as regards this kind of stuff, and they're not, uh, they're not getting into it and not interested in getting into it and in some cases resisting it. So the salvation, if we can call it that, is really only about 20 to 25% of the profession uh, at any time. Yeah. Now, wh- why do you think um, 
what's your view of HR? I mean, there's a lot of discussion um, now about the relevance of HR. And there's a huge trend of, you know, HR can be automated at a lot of levels, and it is being automated at a lot of levels. Benefits, all of those other kinds of things. Um, And the movement is moving, I see some organizations moving much closer to having the leader and the manager more personally engaged in HR matters or people matters. And what's your view of how of, of, of HR now and how it's going to survive in the 21st century? Well, it's not a, a yes, no, or on, off question. Again, it's a matter of degree. There, in order... <clears throat> There will be a number of people who will survive into the future, no matter what the future looks like. There will be a much larger number of people who will be minimized and marginalized, and they'll just be in there on a day-to-day basis <coughs> doing whatever they can to survive. So when you talk about HR as a profession, it's, there's a whole range of people. And I only really talk and think about the top 20%, perhaps, because that's all I can work with. I can't solve 75% who don't want to do it. Yeah. So, if we talk about the future of HR, I'm talking about the future of two different groups. One is the, the ones we like to, to think that we're a part of who are out there doing things, moving ahead, being prescriptive. And the other part are the people who are going to be automated. And we've been doing that as you, just as you said. We've already done a lot of automation uh, in the area of, of things like benefit programs and compensation programs and other things like that that set themselves up for automation. And technology will take those jobs. It has ever since the Industrial Revolution Absolutely. started. Absolutely. My, my one little plug, I mean, somebody that really thinks we're going to go back to jobs that we had 20 and 30 years ago is not really understanding what's going on in the world today because no, jobs are going to be going away. Uh, and they're going to be going away because they're going to be done by a robot or, or, or something else. That's right. So, and also, because you're dealing with people as your customer, if you will, as opposed to material or equipment or buildings, you've got to then deal with that changing input, which is the customer. And the customer's right. not t- the customer today and tomorrow is not the customer that HR had 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago. Right, even five years ago, uh, Jack. So we are coming up on break. Uh, Stay with us. We're going to be talking about what should HR do to be more relevant and what you see, Jack, as the next wave relative to people and work. What's what's coming down the pike? What What are some startling things that we need to be thinking about as we think about what the workplace is going to be like in 10 years or uh, 15 years from now. So stay with us. I'm talking to Dr. Jack Fitzens, leading guru, author, uh, speaker on predictive analytics, strategic human capital. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Dr. Linda Sharkey promotes fact-based solutions for global organizations and leaders that are known to drive business success. Do you want to put the wow in your talent practices? How about a spring in your leadership approaches? Coaching and leadership development are proven methods that, if done right, really do make good leaders great. If you want a no-nonsense, practical approach that will enable you to compete anywhere in the world with measurable results, contact Linda today. Visit lindasharkey.com. Again, that's lindasharkey.com. If you are a small business owner or entrepreneur, you may not be aware of the different options available to you in securing business capital in today's market. We discuss and explore these options each week on Small Business Capital America with host Michael Schumacher. There are two primary ways of building business capital. Profits, which are basically higher revenue and reduced expenses, and external or debt capital. Listen live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Business. 
Does your organization lack proper leadership? We're not necessarily talking about experience, but about how to face the changing dynamic of leadership today. Sometimes the people we lead know more, old ways don't work anymore, and the comfort zone just becomes too easy. Listen for Out of the Comfort Zone with Dr. Wanda Wallace. We'll show you how you can adapt and develop your leadership skills to today's workplace every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Business. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. tuned in to I Lead, the Leadership Connection. To speak to Dr. Linda Sharkey or her guest, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or you can tweet the show at hashtag I Lead TLC. We'd also love to hear from you by email. The email address is radio at lindasharkey.com. Now, Back to I Lead, the Leadership Connection. Welcome back. I'm Linda Sharkey, your host, and with me is Dr. Jack Fitzens. We're talking about the relevance of human resources given the impact of technology and really, in many ways, the lack of measurement and the lack of data focus that HR has had over the years, how is that going to impact them going forward? So, Jack, what would you say HR people need to do in order to be more relevant, particularly in the 21st century? Okay, well, measurement is simply a tool. Measurement is not the end result. It's simply a tool to help achieve whatever it is we're trying to achieve. And in order for us to be effective, generally speaking, we have to use the best tools available. And the good news is, as I said earlier, uh, the tools are readily available all over the place, books, uh, seminars, webinars, whatever. So what HR has to do is decide what it wants to, to be in the future. What, As they say, when you grow up, what do you want to be? And uh, again, HR is not one thing, it's many things, and if we just stick with the, what we call the high end, or the top 25% who really drive the profession, if they're going to uh, service the market of the future and be an important part, which is what we want them to be, of the, whatever the organization of the future looks like, which is another question, then they've got to adopt whatever tool is available, all the best tools available. And uh, I could go on on this for probably about four or five days, but we don't have quite that much time. But uh, let me bring it back to one quick point. If Please. HR wants to be effective, it has to understand what today's, what tomorrow is going to be like. And I just was blown away two or three days ago. I happened to catch Charlie Rose interviewing Eric Schmidt, the CEO uh, or chairman, I'm not sure what he is anymore, of Google. And he his last question was, Eric... How do you see the future? And Schmidt was extremely positive. He said, take a look at today's younger generation. I mean the kids five and six and seven years old. Look what they're living with. They've got these tools in their hands that they can do all kinds of things that you and I couldn't do when they were in high school, when we were in high school. He said, the technology is so incredible, and it is shaping the lives of people because that's what technology does. It shapes our lives, just like automobiles and telephones did. So that's the point. HR has to pick up the technology and try to determine how that's going to change the organizations that they serve in the future. And once they try to understand some of that, and they won't know it all, of course, then they can begin to look at the human element and say, okay, what does that imply for the people who work here, and what does that imply for us as the people who service them. Very, very, very fascinating. So what do you think, if you were going to work with a group of HR people, and I I know you do a lot of this kind of work, what would you say would be the vision for HR? What should HR be in the future? Well, the question of... First of all, I don't think it should be called human resources anymore, to be honest, but that's a a small point. But what do you think? 
Well, I wrote a, an article a couple of years ago about breaking up the HR department and spreading it around to different parts of the organization where it could be more relevant. For example, training might be in operations. Why should training be anyplace else? Most of the people are in operations. Why not put training there? What about comp and benefits? Shouldn't that be in finance? And you can look at every aspect of HR that way and say, is there a better place for it than in this centralized thing we have created uh, almost 100 years ago because things were different at that time and we needed to do it? So I don't think that there's any reason why HR as a singular profession has to stay the way it is. If it was my choice, I would spread it out and I would keep a central core of big people who are basically strategists and consultants to work with the upper levels of management. And I would let the programs and processes be run at, a, at the middle level by these functions that have been spread into the operations of the company. That's the way I would go about it. And I'm sure no one will let me do it, but anyway. Oh, it's a compelling point. I have heard that point of putting Comp and Ben in finance because, you know, I, I've been in human resources a good portion of my career. And one of the things that HR used to fight with finance all the time because HR had used one way or one operational def- definition for headcount and finance used another. <laughs> and the business leader would be like, can't you people tell me how many people we actually have on a payroll at any one bloody given point in time? And, uh, you know, and we we never did get our act together around that. It seems like a pretty simple question, but that, that problem in the 21st century even now still exists. Well, I laugh because I've I, I had that happen too also a number of times when people couldn't even figure out how many bodies we have in this organization. I know. It's, an, it, it, it's actually really kind of surprising. <laughs> To tell you the truth, so if you were going to be looking at at all of this, um, how do you see the changing nature of work? Things like uh, because I do believe the social contract is is changing dramatically, especially with the newer workforce coming in. You know, the gig economy. People want considerably more flexibility. They have different expectations from the workplace. You know, it really wasn't all about, you know, uh, uh, it's not so much all about, you know, I'll work for you, you pay me, and, you know, we'll call it a day. Uh, Jobs are going to be much more short-term. People, you know, uh, Kellogg School says there's probably people are going to probably have 35 jobs in their career. Uh, How will this affect the ability to really look at people and how they work in an organization? Or how they're going to work at all going forward? Uh, again, you know, looking at a total population as a as a monolith doesn't work. You have to break it up. So if we do that and we look at the people at the lowest level of clerical and administrative functions in staff departments, forget the factory for a moment. Those people are going to be uh, they're going to survive with technology. They're going to learn how to run basic. Uh, technology, you know, computers and whatever uh, else comes along. And that's going to pretty much dictate their day-to-day. They're not going to have too much opportunity to make big-time decisions, uh, really. They're going to mostly take orders and fulfill and run the processes. But as you move above them, more and more HR people, even at the lower levels, the quasi-professional, maybe we can call them, uh, are going to be uh, have an opportunity to do a variety of things uh, much broader than they ever had years ago. And that's going to give them the chance to move across the organization because they're going to learn a lot of different things that are going on beyond what's happening at their desk. As you say, they're going to be in and out of projects and programs. Uh, there's going to be a lot of lateral movement as well as vertical movement. So the, the ground is... Tremendous opportunity, nothing but opportunity for people in HR who want to move ahead. And there are a lot of them, even at the professional level, who don't really want to move that much. So you don't have to worry about them. They'll be there. They'll do their job. uh, They'll learn a little bit, and they'll be okay. Uh, But those who really want to move uh, and uh, excel and go as far as they possibly can, there's tremendous opportunity coming up because technology is now letting them talk to people all over the world, right? They're right. on a project team. Right. Uh, we've got a neighbor here who says she's been running a project for the last three years. She's not even met the people on her team because they're right. all over the world. 
Right. So she's learning things that you know I never learned because I didn't have that opportunity 20 years ago. You know, you're so right. I, I was uh, out in California, as you know, and, and working for Hewlett Packard uh, as the chief talent officer for a number of years. And I had, you know, we all had virtual teams. We were in 170 countries around the world at that time. And uh, some people never saw their supervisor. And when they finally did have a meeting, the only reason they knew who each other was by, was by the sound of their voices. Yeah. I thought it was fascinating. And well, they were really the able to function well. Go ahead. Think of the capability that you developed because of that experience of being able to deal with people in different cultures, different time frames, different technologies, different needs, et cetera, et cetera. <coughs> you came out of that process much smarter than someone who had done the same job 20 years earlier when you didn't have that kind of facility. Voice America Business Network. Dr. Linda Sharkey promotes fact-based solutions for global organizations and leaders that are known to drive business success. Do you want to put the wow in your talent practices? How about a spring in your leadership approaches? Coaching and leadership development are proven methods that, if done right, really do make good leaders great. If you want a no-nonsense, practical approach that will enable you to compete anywhere in the world with measurable results, contact Linda today. Visit lindasharkey.com. Again, that's lindasharkey.com. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. tuned in to I Lead, the Leadership Connection. To speak to Dr. Linda Sharkey or her guest, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or you can tweet the show at hashtag ILEADTLC. We'd also love to hear from you by email. The email address is radio at lindasharkey.com. Now, Back to I Lead, the Leadership Connection. Welcome back. I'm Linda Sharkey. We're having a fascinating discussion with Dr. Jack Fitzens. And, and Jack, I, I have gotten a couple of emails from the field, but before we get to that, uh, I wanted to know what's next for you. And I also noticed that you're now moving into writing uh, novels. So. Right. Why that shift, and, and what's next for you professionally? Well, yeah, I'm probably 80% uh, on the fiction side now, uh, and 20% still around metrics and analytics. Um, and it became that, it came that way because in 19, or in 2013, uh, I turned 80, and uh, I had wow. uh, a little heart problem, and... I decided a few months afterwards I didn't want to fly all over the world anymore, and I decided to semi-retire. And my wife says, what are you going to do now? And she says, you'd like to write. Why don't you try writing something else? So I thought, well, the only thing I could write is what I know, and what I know is me. So I wrote a memoir, and then I realized nobody really wants to know you know, my life, except my mother, and she's not here anymore. So uh, <laughs> I turned that into a novel. And then what I've done now is I've taken that base and I've taken some characters drawn from that and I've written a book which will be out in about a month called Undaunted Lovers. And it's about a naval intelligence officer and his Chinese wife and uh, their adventures as an espionage team. Oh, how exciting. I can't wait to see it. That's, That's really great. But you're still doing speaking. You're still doing workshops, right? 
Uh, no, I don't do any workshops. Uh, mostly I consult. I'm on the boards of some companies. I, run a, I write a column every month for Talent Management Magazine, uh, and I just do some individual consulting, but I don't do public programs anymore. Ah, uh, well, I understand. So, I mean, I would so, if somebody asked me, but nobody's asked, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, people should ask you because you have a wonderful insight into into what's coming in the future. So I have a question that came in from uh, the field, and and it's from Susan, and she wanted to know, what is the biggest piece of advice you have for organizations struggling to retain great talent? Because the talent war has not gone away. Yes. Oh, boy, that's a big one. If I had the answer to that, nobody could afford it because uh, I'd be so rich. Yeah. Um, realistically, though, uh, I really have to touch on some of the things I've already talked about. You've got to take all the tools that you can possibly get your hands on, uh, whether we're talking analytics or any other kinds of tools. Surround yourself with all the information you can get. Study the marketplace. Study behavioral uh the latest behavioral literature, even read some of the popular uh, stuff that's out there about, you know, how much time people spend on Facebook and whatever. Gather information is what I'm saying. Get as much as you possibly can and try to distill that in what does it tell you? What does it tell you about the people that you want? And you have to then match that with your organization and where is your organization going and what's its market about and so on and so forth. So it's a case of matching, which is really nothing new, except now it's a much more complex problem than it was even when the so-called war for talent took on, because that was simply about numbers. We didn't have enough people trained. Now we've got all kinds of people with all kinds of capabilities, and we don't really know how to bring them in and use them effectively yet. And we're learning, so it's okay. Uh, but that's what I would say is you've got to go study in the course of doing everything you're doing. You've got to start doing some analysis of the world in which you live, both from the organization structure side and its purposes and from the human behavior side and the, the issues of self-realization over there because that's where the big um, disconnect exists today. Yeah, I, I kind of, I, I totally agree with you. I, I Another question came in from um, Cynthia, who is a uh, entry-level human resource person and trying to decide, you know, where she wants to go with human resources. And uh, she is really asking, who do you think are the bright lights and the beacons out there where she should be uh, trying to connect to continue to grow herself? Well, there are a number, and of course you hear about you know, the Googles and the Apples and so on and so forth, and they are, are wonderful. Uh, Amazon is doing some great things. Amazon's a very tough place to work, though. It, is. it has uh, very high expectations. It's not a picnic at all to work there, but they are doing some very uh, advanced things, and you would learn a lot by working at Amazon. Then there are the old standbys. There's the General Electrics and the IBMs. They're not... You know, they're not dinosaurs. They're doing great things, too. Uh, you just don't hear as much about them. So uh, I guess I would start reading uh, all the literature that's out there, You know, all the business books uh, from Fortune and Harvard Business Review and all the way through, of course, to my wonderful magazine, Talent Management, HR Executive, and try to distill as much as you can from the stories that are there because they're mostly about what companies are doing. And what is it that appeals to you? And then I'll try to wrap it up with one thing. There was a man named Joseph Campbell. You may never have heard of, but he was a uh, a teacher of comparative philosophy and religion at, uh, I think, Sarah Lawrence or one of the other uh, women's colleges in the New York area for many, many years. But he became famous uh, for his work. Uh, there was a television program that ran for a number of, of months on it and the, the key is he said and this is something I've never forgotten he says if you're trying to figure out what to do follow your bliss follow your bliss what is it that excites you on a day to day basis what is it that quote turns you on what do you love to do and if you follow that you will be successful and you will be fulfilled and I'm doing it because I love to write. I've been writing since high school. You know, I've all the writing I've done. And now I'm in fiction. It's a whole new world. 
that's my bliss. Yeah, isn't that great? Well, congratulations, and and um, you know, you're just one of those people who have been such a, a wonderful beacon for our profession and for uh, helping bring human capital to a, a, another level of excellence. And good for you for moving on to the novels and all of that stuff, uh, Jack. I just so appreciate you being on the show. It was a great discussion. Thank you so much. Thank you, Doctor. It's been a great pleasure. Good. So next week, we're going to be talking to uh, Robert Passon. And I love Robert. I met him with... Uh, uh, Marshall, when we were doing something out in Chicago together, Marshall Goldsmith, and he is the CEO of Radio Flyer. And we all probably remember Radio Flyer wagons from our youth. They were called different names over the period of time, but this is a company that's been around since 1914, and it was started by his great-grandfather. And the ability for this company to still be relevant today is a real tribute to the leadership and the culture that this company has created. So we're going to be talking uh, with Robert next week, and we're going to be telling the stories of how Radio Flyer wagons have impacted people's lives. And um, I saw them when I was running around the pediatrics ward up at Duke University Hospital very recently, where they're outfitted with uh, the ability to carry IV um, bags and all of that stuff for children that are um, vastly ill. And it was a wonderful, wonderful thing to say. And then we're going to be talking to another person who is near and dear to my heart, which is Harry Jansen Kramer, on becoming the best. And here we're going to be talking about the role of values in leadership and how important that is and how important it is to give back to society at large. Harry has been the former CEO of Baxter uh, International. Uh, he now teaches at uh, University of Michigan, or no, excuse me, at Northwestern University. Um, he teaches in the MBA program, and he has a lot of insight into what leadership is going to look like and what's going to be important relative to leaders in the future. Now, I've spoken on this topic before and invited guests on this topic before, and the primary reason is because my own book that's going to be coming out in February of next year cites values, which were talked about in the 20th century, but cites values from our experience and our research as a critical component of what leadership is going to be about going forward. And values are going to drive and are going to be the engine of organizations, much more so than it ever was in the past. So I'm very excited to have my upcoming guests. Thanks, everyone, so much for listening to the shows. Thank you for coming back in and listening to them uh, again. Uh, lots of shows get listened to um, over a long period of time. I have a worldwide listenership, and I'm just very excited and, and happy to have you all. So thanks for being with me, and I'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of I Lead, The Leadership Connection. Please join Dr. Linda Sharkey again for another show next Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a successful week.